0: I'm a delight from start to finish.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you're Like something. fruit by the foot. <laughs> I don't really like fruit by the foot.
0: That explains a lot about your awful personality.
1: <laughs> you're like a great popsicle, Sam.
0: Delicious? Yes. Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam.
1: I'm Danielle.
0: And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media finds with your friends who don't know what you're talking about.
1: I have no recollection of what you talked about, Sam.
0: (laughs) Yes, Danielle. I was about to say, you truly have no idea what we're talking about because we're returning finally after our winter bazaar to the world of Hyperion. Yay! DJ Shrike is back. He had his hiatus. He's back in residency on our podcast, the exclusive home of all things D Day sure Call now. Pets, pets, pets. Thank you, Danielle, for that lovely introduction <laughs> to DJ Shrike's <laughs> musical stylings.
1: You're welcome. I'm here, I'm here for you.
0: Yes. Uh, it's been a number of weeks that I've lost count of since we last discussed Hyperion, and I ended part two of the Fall of Hyperion. Mm-hmm, We're going to be mm-hmm. diving into part three today, Danielle. And as much as I'd like to finish this part in two of our episodes, I feel like it's going to be more because this part of the book is dense as heck.
1: I'm going to be honest, I thought we had finished the second book. I forgot.
0: (laughs) No, Danielle. (laughs) I'm so sad. This book is getting so much denser. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Speaking of remembering, Danielle, you know what's coming next. I'm going to ask you- I don't
1: remember, Sam. I don't remember. tell
0: me everything you remember, whatever it is, whatever scraps you have rattling around (laughs) inside your brain from when we last discussed the fall of Hyperion.
1: Uh... Does he, does What's-His-Face finally give up his daughter? Does that happen yet?
0: <laughs> that's the very end of the part, Danielle. <laughs> that's all I remember. <laughs>
1: all
0: I remember is Saul Weintraub offering his daughter to Rachel. the Shrike in uh-huh. sacrifice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. I remember that Martin got taken and put on a tree. Was that the last of the part, too?
0: Uh, that was, no, that's the previous part. Oh. Uh, but oh, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the previous part where he gets taken and brawn makes her way back to the camp and is hooked up to a giant tentacle cable thing right
1: and she's having like dream dreams i don't know she's living her best life with what's its face uh johnny Keats. yeah johnny keith
0: yeah that's in this part
1: <laughs> uh yeah so she's like plugged in and living her best life in her head she's not really living her best life <laughs> in real life <laughs> all
0: right let's rewind a bit we open with Paul Duray and the Consul and Saul. They have found the unconscious Hep Massey and they have holed up in some of the time tombs, went for him to come to.
1: Doesn't the Consul die? Doesn't his ship explode while he's like coming back?
0: Possibly. Oh, no, maybe no. It's, it's it's hard to tell if that was his <laughs> ship or not. It wasn't his <laughs> ship. As it I can was. Tell
1: you. Oh yeah, well, spoilers, Sam. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't his ship. Again, I don't know for sure, but based on what I've learned in this next part, it probably wasn't his ship.
1: Oh my gosh! okay, <laughs> so they're waiting. what were they waiting for sorry
0: there 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 was a there was a time storm the antiantropic fields were going crazy, and so they sought refuge in some of the cave tombs and eventually they find they they relieved to find that Braun Lamia has been hooked into the sphinx and is plugged into a cable into the wall and they can't disconnect her. It's keeping her alive, but she's brain dead.
1: but she's living her best life inside of her head. They don't, we'll get don't to they that. don't know yes. that, <laughs> yeah. And nobody cares about the baby.
0: Right. Nobody cares about the baby, except for maybe Bron. But, yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's in her head, though. It's not like she knows. She does. She kind of, like, uh, I mean, how conscious are you when you're living in a fake life, or possibly real life? Who I knows mean, inside not of your head? a
0: life. She's merely, like, plugged into the virtual reality. She still knows this isn't her real body. She knows, like, she's been plugged into the data sphere, or the datum plane by the shrike.
1: Okay. Well, that's happening. Oh, he like takes her shran loop or something, doesn't he?
0: No, I mean he plugged into the shran loop connection or something, and that's why she's with Johnny in the data. No, plane. I know that,
1: but at the end of is that at the end of the second to last one or the last one where he like puts his little shrikey nails up the side of her head? And that was in the, end of the
0: previous thing. part where he plugged her into. Why the... do
1: I remember that part so well, but can't remember a single <laughs> thing that happened in the last
0: one? I don't know, Daniel. Your brain's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, but here's the best part. At some point, uh, Het Masting becomes conscious enough to relay his and then he a dies. part of his story. <laughs> oh, he dies. He dies immediately after this, but he has some information to share first, Danielle. Do you remember anything about what he told the others?
1: Uh, He woke up. Uh, something about the tree.
0: Okay. Yes, first he. Brought an erg with him. Remember what the ergs are?
1: Uh, Yeah, they're the little creatures that are, like, attached to their – they're not owners, but they're, like, symbiotic relationship.
0: Yeah, and they create force fields around the tree ships to let them fly. Oh, sure, I didn't remember that
1: part. But, yeah, Yeah. that's a thing. He wanted to be, like, captain of all the tree ships, of the strike tree.
0: There it is. So, at some point, their plan was – okay, again, rewinding (laughs) just a little bit. He was on the, the wind wagon with the others, and the Shrike appeared there holding some other poor person that he had taken and was <laughs> in the process of murdering.
1: He's having a rave.
0: Yeah, a rave with that person. And...
1: No, with all his people, Sam. That's why he's collecting people. So right, rave put them on, on the, the tree. tree so
0: they can dance for eternity on spikes. Perfect.
1: <laughs> Martin seemed okay with it.
0: <laughs> we'll find out more about Martin shortly.
1: <laughs> he was just mad because he couldn't finish his cantos.
0: I mean, wouldn't you be... So, uh, the Shrike takes Mastine and drops him off somewhere in the time tombs, like, two days later, and he wanders around dehydrated or whatever until he's found by the other pilgrims, but the point is, yes, he had brought the Urg, because somehow their plan was to hook it up to the Tree of Thorns, the, the, the Tree of Pain, whatever you want to call it, the Shrike's spiky party tree... <sighs> <laughs> and turn it into a tree ship that he would captain flying around dishing out atonement. So the Templars were in league <laughs> somehow with the Church of Final Atonement, which is the Shrike cult.
1: Except that the Shrike was not on board with that, it sounds
0: like. I mean, I don't think they ever like talked to the Shrike about this plan. They just showed <laughs> that, like, hey, <laughs> we could do this. And Shrike's like, nah, that's not for me. <laughs>
1: He's like, I'm good. Thanks, though. I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. So then Hep dies after revealing all his information.
1: I love the idea of a whole religion that just like makes up something and then they finally get to meet their like god-like figure and the figure's like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> it's
0: like, ooh, ooh, you guys were praying to me for that? I'm not about that. You got that all wrong. <laughs> Brilliant. True at story. this point, I really hope that all the Pilgrims and all their plans were irrelevant to the story. And it was just all like, yeah, they're doing all this stuff, but it doesn't matter.
1: I really feel like that's a sincere possibility in this story.
0: <laughs> it really is. All right. So that's what happened with Hetmastine at some point. They decide. I'm mean, probably on this out of order, but who cares? Uh, at some point, they decide to send the consul back to get his ship because they can't call it because CEO Gladstone sells it locked down.
1: Right? Because they need the medical stuff to
0: put Brawn on it, right? To save Brawn and possibly also hit Mastine before he dies. Uh, but he dies anyway. Doesn't Spoiler, matter. Spoiler: He dies. <laughs> or to save? Um, no, no. To save Rachel to to put her into stasis, possibly. Oh uh, yeah,
1: little Rachel who's like. A day old or something.
0: Yeah, like she's like a, a day or two away from reverting back to her birth, fetus state. That I don't, would what, mean. It,
1: what happens? What happens with her, Sam?
0: We'll never Does, find out what would happen because before that happened, she's off to the strike. As you know,
1: you... no, because the author was like, uh... <laughs> Did she look, turn look, into a fetus?" We have no proof of this either way.
0: It's, it's awfully convenient that never happened, so we're good. <laughs>
1: Does it go back into embryo? <laughs> Does it turn into a sperm? We don't know.
0: You know what, Daniel? It doesn't matter. It's like people who insist on knowing what is under the clothes of cartoon characters. Like, it doesn't exist. Like, it doesn't. No one drew it. Nothing's there. So it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> you didn't want to see Saul carrying around a little sperm. <laughs> That's like then absorbed into his body, I would assume.
0: I mean, I imagine she would take nine months to become a sperm, Danielle.
1: I know. But that's what I'm wondering. If you like, if it went back far enough, how did it work? She would
0: probably just die as an embryo. It's fine. <laughs> she would probably just die. Questions, She'd become like a fetus and then die. Anyway, moving on to the story itself, because we've got a lot to get through, Danielle. It's going to be yeah, a million sorry, apologize. years telling. <laughs> Do you remember what happened with the console and how he was going to go back and get a ship?
1: No idea. He ends up on the ship. And maybe no, probably, and he may or may not <laughs> die.
0: He does not get <laughs> <He does not laughs> on the ship in any way, shape, or form. He takes. He brought with him. The Hawking Mat.
1: Yeah, I remember that. But does he use it?
0: Yeah, he takes it and he flies back for like two days across Hyperion. Well, boy, do
1: I not remember that part of the story.
0: <laughs> I gloss over most of it because it was just him retracing the steps of the pilgrims took to get out there. And then he crashes into the Huli River at some point and that's the last we see of him.
1: Okay, so he probably didn't make it back to his ship and then Kassad is having sexy times with nope. Miststrike. Nope. Is that later? Is that nope. earlier? Yep. <laughs> Does he get... so? Oh, he gets... He, well, at the end of that one section, he got sucked into Shrike Town.
0: So this is where he ends up... Oh, he's up. like
1: Shrikeville, and there's like a million Shrikes, and he's having battle.
0: He's <laughs> somewhere, probably in the great distant future. He goes through a portal with Monita Monetta, Moneta, ends up in the great distant future... In the Valley of the Time Tomb, so it's like a, a future Hyperion that has no atmosphere, is completely destroyed practically. Mm-hmm. And he sees like the, the Tree of Thorns and he sees Martin Salinas on it. So he's been there for millennia, probably. Poor Martin. And so then he sees what the Shrike come out of on of the Time Tombs, and is like, I'm going to murder that guy. And so he goes to murder the Shrike. But then there are lots of Shrikes. Yeah. But then thousands of Shrikes appear out of all the different Time Tombs. And this does not dissuade Kassad one bit.
1: No, of course it doesn't. He's been on like... He's been on a kick since the beginning. Like possibility of death wasn't gonna stop him.
0: <laughs> Ever. Absolutely not. He he's on a murder crusade and he's going to fulfill that murder crusade no matter what it takes. Yeah. Okay. So that's I cassad. Like. <laughs> so yeah,
1: I told I summed that up much faster than you did, Sam. <laughs> I mean, you left all of detail, but fine. I said he was in Shrikeville, and there were a lot of Shrikes. <laughs> what? That's exactly what you just said.
0: You missed on the whole part where he's fighting then, where he saw Martin, where it's in the future, which is important.
1: Oh, well, I didn't remember that part. That it was yeah, in the future. Yeah, Okay. So
0: <laughs> if you don't remember parts of it, it's easy to sum up really How quickly. How am I Danielle. supposed to
1: know what's important and what's not in this book, Sam? It's not one of those books where you're like, "This will probably be important later."
0: <laughs> it definitely isn't. But that's why I remember everything. <laughs>
1: That's terrible. This is the worst book for me.
0: It really is. Anyway, you also remember that at some point, this is where we learn about the Ouster invasion.
1: Yes. That it Do you
0: remember the Ouster invasion?
1: Sure, that there's like a million of them when they didn't think there would be.
0: There are like nine, all the swarms have committed to invading the web and are on track to invade different planets.
1: Right, and Mina's all like, oh no, we never saw this coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, her generals are. Mina's like this is definitely a possibility.
1: Well, because she knew that either side was bad.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, she has. We'll, we'll get to that again.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad they finally give us slightly more information about Mina's plans.
0: Uh sure. Anyway, <laughs> Saul has a dream. Yes, As remember one this dream?
1: Does <laughs> he has a dream about um? Uh about Rachel, right? Doesn't he have the same dream as usual, but it's a little bit different?
0: Yeah, that was a good description. Same dream, but a little bit different.
1: <laughs> it's the dream about Rachel being sacrificed to the gods, but instead baby Rachel like comes back and is like, Daddy, you should totally sacrifice me to the gods. And he's like, Well, I guess if little baby Rachel wants it, and she's like, I totally do, Dad.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's a dream where he's demanded <laughs> to make the sacrifice by the shrike. At the altar in the Sphinx, and he usually just flat out refuses, like he does this time. But then Rachel, as an eight-year-old, is like, do it for me, Daddy. Do it for humanity. We need you to do this. And he's like,
1: I just said all that, Sam.
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of. But okay course is- i
1: need you guys to like vote in on whether or not the things i'm describing are the exact same thing sam's describing
0: <laughs> if you let me finish i would tell you why she's saying this the well, why didn't thing she, is she just s-
1: say okay the reason why she said all of the stuff you just said danielle <laughs>
0: Because it's part of the go I can't just start with like, oh yeah, here's a contextless statement, unlike you. I have to provide context for what I'm saying.
1: I don't think you do. I just gave everybody context, but go ahead, carry on.
0: She's saying you should sacrifice me if not out of obedience to God or whatever, but out of love of humanity, a love for humankind and myself.
1: Right, because for some reason, sacrificing Rachel will totally save the day, but probably not.
0: I mean, again, maybe we'll find out more about Rachel, maybe not.
1: It'd be real funny if they just never, like, he sacrifices Rachel and that's the end of that. <laughs> it's like, oh, it didn't mean anything.
0: Right. Just It'd kidding. Be great. So the very last thing that happens is, you remember? No. So the strike shows up and Saul gives her Rachel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then...
1: Rachel's building up like, the entire two daddy. books.
0: Nope, she's a baby still. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, uh, the strike breaks in the song.
0: Yes, and no. The time tomb's open, Danielle.
1: Oh, yeah. I th- kind of thought they were half open. Sorry.
0: No. All confusing. <laughs> the climax of two and a half books, the time tomb's opening. It's a big deal.
1: Sorry. I got sidetracked by the Rachel thing. In my head, that was kind of the end of the story. I didn't remember the time No, they're the connected.
0: Because she was set to expire the, the moment the time was open. Like, it's all connected.
1: Right, right, right. Okay, so everybody the time tunes are open.
0: Yep. And now All it's right. time
1: for a time tune party.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Time That's what's tunes.
0: <laughs> Why don't you tell me what a time tune would be named, Danielle? <laughs> give me give me the title of one of your time tunes. Uh uh Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> time after time.
0: <laughs> uh yes, yeah, sure. Alright, give me give me one more.
1: Um it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs>
0: That's a more appropriate one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we keep working on that list of time tunes. We'll sell you on our four CD collection.
1: <laughs> I will too. DJ Strikes Greatest Hits.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Time after time, and the end of the world as we know it. DJ Shrike's greatest hits. I'm sure that no one else is associated with those songs.
1: He does his remixes, Sam. Obviously, come on, he's a DJ.
0: <laughs> right, I'm he sorry. He gets the
1: rights. He does his remixes. I'm glad this is all above board. If you never seen, seen a the DJ, music. before, he just kills the original owners. <laughs> I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> I don't think that would give him the rights to the music. I think the the giant music labels own the right. And you know, again, as our evil conglomerates are wont to do in our world.
1: He just jumps ahead in time when they're now like open source. Like an Anybody can take them. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Great. Perfect. That's like it's a foolproof plan.
1: I mean, he <laughs> goes it it back in time, releases it. <laughs> I mean, I think legally you'd have some like it'd be hard to fight.
0: Yeah, be hard to fight a time traveling entity, but I think <laughs> if you tried to release the song in the time when it was copyright, I don't think it would work.
1: <laughs> Maybe not, but he could release them in the future.
0: Yeah, but then what are we doing talking about him here? Then hey guys, wait two hundred years and then buy these songs from D. A. Strike. <laughs>
1: I don't know people's lifespans. Who knows what the future holds? Well, we're about to find out in part five
0: of The Fall of Hyperion.
1: Holy cow. (laughs) It never ends.
0: Part five of probably eight, seven, seven. I thought you said six. (laughs) No, I read this. As soon as I started reading this last section, I'm like, oh, this is going to be... I mean, we could do three-hour episodes if you want to, Danielle, you can recap them next week, but I don't think <laughs> I do, you wanted that.
1: I do not. Uh, summarize <laughs> faster, Sam.
0: <laughs> Danielle, are you crazy? These books are so dense and everything's important. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dan Simmons, what were you doing?
0: Uh, writing like a maniac. Love it.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, tell me what happens. Part of 20,000. Part 5 of 7? Whatever. <laughs> at least,
0: maybe 8, maybe 6 if I'm lucky. I don't know, maybe there's a lot of back matter in the books, that, uh, and I don't have as many pages left as I think I do, but I probably do.
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed, everybody.
0: Uh, there are like 45 chapters, and I'm at like 30-ish. <laughs> All right, we open with Severn, waking up feeling pretty terrible from the drug-induced sleep he put himself in last time.
1: You would not believe the amount of effort my brain had to go through to figure out who Severn was, because we did not mention him during the recap.
0: Right, right, because he had put himself in a drug-induced sleep, and so he dreamed that whole last part, basically.
1: I'd forgotten about him entirely. I was like, who's Severn?
0: Severn, the other Keats persona. No, I was like, he must
1: be a Keats persona, because that's why I wouldn't recognize his name. I was like, oh, wait, he is a Keats persona.
0: <laughs> Nailed it in one
1: <laughs> Okay
0: So Leigh Hunt is standing over him Having applied some counter drug to wake him up And tell him the CEO wants to see him Do you remember who Leigh Hunt is? No Okay, he's Mina's assistant Oh, sure Like her number one
1: Her number one Leigh's number one
0: No Alright, moving on He is <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> On the way to see here, Severin briefly accesses the data sphere and it's chaotic, as you imagine, from the rapidly approaching war.
1: Mm hmm,
0: hmm. Hyperion is under attack and there's some talk of impeaching Gladstone.
1: And they don't know the time tubes are open? No. Isn't there some kind of alert or something? A bell no. that goes off?
0: No, there's no like bell there's that goes There's not a camera that's
1: sensing this. It. Apparently, cameras are very fancy these days.
0: No, Danielle. <laughs> If they had cameras in the time tombs, they wouldn't need to rely on the dreams of Severn here to figure out what's going on there, okay, would they?
1: Why is this in the future and does not have cameras attached to the time? time you think time the, the
0: strike would let them happen there. He would destroy them all.
1: Well, well, have they even tried?
0: They can't even get ships <laughs> to land in the time tombs without them being destroyed.
1: I feel like couldn't there be like cameras from space or something, Sam? You
0: mean satellites? Yeah, uh, probably don't work. Doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> you don't know that. So you, you weren't even sure about that one. <laughs>
0: Look, I'm guessing the anti-entropic field is <laughs> probably have something to do with it.
1: They couldn't have a sensor, nothing, just. They out. had sensors,
0: remember, that they could, that Emilio Alvarez had put there? Remember Emilio?
1: Yeah, 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 the boyfriend.
0: Yeah, who had, well, way past that now. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's how I'm going to remember him, Sam.
0: Yeah, they had, they had sensors on the antitropic field, but they couldn't go there to maintain them. They had fallen and disrepair. Like, I don't think this is a very accessible place.
1: Okay, well, they could have And there's no the data up. sphere
0: connection there either, remember? So I if just, they had a camera there, they have no way of accessing it.
1: I feel like there's solutions to this problem that they did not try. <laughs>
0: I think the magic... Of the Severn brain connection is the solution they did figure out, <laughs> Danielle, and it's a great solution. Clearly,
1: okay, whatever. So Severn's gonna go talk to Mina.
0: Yes, and so he get when he gets to her, he is absolutely furious. He is all like, "What have you done?" And she snaps back and remember who he's talking to. But Severn responds, "Why did you let this war happen? Why did you make this war happen?" Oh. And Mina replies, she didn't make it happen. There are two paths, war and uncertainty, or total annihilation. So she chose war. And then she asks how the pilgrims were doing.
1: And the answer is bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, obviously. (laughs) Severin says he'll tell her only if she will promise to release the lock on the consul ship and then send a team to rescue him from the Huli River.
1: Can you imagine the, it went from like all of the pilgrims were totally fine to, and by the way, (laughs) half of them are dead.
0: I mean, they expected all of them but one to die at the very least. Yeah, but
1: like overnight, practically. Yeah, no, they expected them all to die pretty much overnight. Well, they've made it farther than they expected then.
0: Yeah, that's what I, the surprising thing is that they're still alive, Danielle, and the Shrike hasn't killed all but one of them, and granted that one's Wish.
1: Yeah, we're getting there. Maybe. Probably not. Mm,
0: no, I don't think <laughs> so. I don't think the Wish ever comes into it, Danielle. I think that's all just nonsense.
1: <laughs> Shrike's like, this is hilarious, you guys.
0: <laughs> you think you're getting the Wish granted? <laughs> that's how this works. The only wish I grant is dent. He's like,
1: I'm not a wizard.
0: <laughs> I'm a DJ. Get with it.
1: <laughs> he upgraded his job.
0: Super good at his job. So Mina agrees to Severin's demands and Severin recaps what happened. We just talked about it. I'm not going to go over it again. Mm-hmm. And now the time tombs are open. So he relays information to so is aware.
1: Yay! Our little alert system.
0: Yep. Works perfectly. Yeah, no cameras needed.
1: Except that he was asleep and they had to, like, forcibly wake him up. And what if they hadn't?
0: I mean, they clearly could. That was fine. That fine. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> terrible system. If it works, system. it's
0: not stupid. It's a terrible, terrible system. <laughs> So, Mina follows through on releasing the ship and arranging for rescue for the console. And then she turns to Severin and is all, Hey, did you notice you're dreaming about events beyond your awareness of the other Keith's persona? Like, the other Keith's persona and Brawn are in the data sphere, and yet he was still aware of what was happening with Saul and with uh, the console and all that kind of stuff. Mmm, mysterious. And Severin, who did not put this together, is all like, oh, what? <laughs> really? And is shocked.
1: <laughs> oh, Oh. Severin. Severin.
0: He's not that bright. <laughs> and I'm saying he didn't figure this out. Severin cannot explain why this is happening. And then when he asks Mina who he is, Mina says he was sent by the Corps as her liaison to the pilgrims and to observe events as a poet and an artist. Uh, Severin thinks it's no use to just observe when the world's ending. And Mina's like, "Hey, maybe we should go observe the end of the world." And hands him a universe authorization chip for farcaster travel. She's like, "Go, no, go travel." <laughs>
1: Like your work here is done.
0: Severin's like, hey, if I'm killed, you'll lose your connection to the Pilgrims. And Mina's like, no, nope, that's a risk we'll just have to take.
1: What the heck, Mina?
0: She is on another level, Daniel. She's <laughs> doing 12th dimensional chess or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Severin first casts to a one of the first wave worlds. So far, things are calm, even though it's only 36 hours from being invaded. He then casts to Nevermore in the city of Edgartown, which must be the planet... Of goths, because obviously. 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 Goths would make a planet and they would call it Nevermore and have Edgar Town. Did
1: it actually say in the book that it's a town of goths?
0: No, of course it doesn't. I'm just speculating (laughs) that who else would name a planet Nevermore but a bunch of goths?
1: It could be a bunch of just really happy people. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs>
0: just like, it's a happy, sunshiny planet. Like, yeah. oh, nevermore. We love Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, they're
1: like into Edgar Allan Poe. They just like horror stuff, Sam.
0: Sure. All right. I'm uh-huh. a chipper
1: person, and I like to read Edgar Allan
0: Poe. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, okay. But you're not like so into him that you're going to name your cat or your home or your planet after him.
1: No. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. I could, had I thought about it. You're not going it. to. I don't know my cat. I didn't name my cat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of did. You've been trying to rename your cat for like weeks, waffling over different names.
1: Months, really. Yeah, that's so I, that's I d- because her name was Herman.
0: <laughs> Great name. I don't know why you want to change it.
1: Because <laughs> she's not really a Herman. She's a cat, Danielle. what's
0: What does that even mean?
1: <laughs> don't know. She just doesn't have a Herman, but clearly it's somebody who doesn't own cats.
0: All right. Whatever. You're crazy and I'm moving on. The point is, things are calm so far, and as he's traveling to these different plants in the first wave, he is hearing Mina give this speech about the war over a public address system on all the planets. Mm -hmm. The first signs of unrest he encounters are when he goes to Heaven's Gate and there's shooting that starts somewhere in the city and people start crowding towards the Farcaster Terminex.
1: He just willingly decides to go check out Heaven's Gate.
0: Yeah, like this is one of the first – he's going to all the first wave planets. Remember when he did like that tour of all the home planets of the pilgrims? This is basically the same thing, but he's just going to all the first wave planets. It's like Redux version? Pretty much, yeah. It's like a a, a, a reprise. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, fun times. So he quickly leaves, returns to the government house. He runs to the Gladstone. He had heard her speech and he compliments her on the speech and notes that it was largely stolen from Churchill. So that's fun.
1: Except that nobody there apparently knows that.
0: Yeah, and she basically says, hey, if you're going to steal from someone, steal from the best that no one knows about anymore. (laughs) Which is like, you know, fair point.
1: Yeah, that's true. It doesn't make it any worse of a speech.
0: Not at all. So he tells her to expect panic now that she's informed the web fully of the invasion. And she's like, yeah, I always expect panic. And then she asks for any news of the pilgrims. And Severin's like... I've been walking, I haven't been dreaming. Like, what do you expect? I have nothing for you. And Mina suggests that maybe he could just go into the dream state at will. He doesn't have to, like, go to sleep anymore.
1: What is she, like, psychic or something? Why would she even suggest any of these things?
0: I don't know, Danielle. She clearly has something going on in her head that he's putting <laughs> together that he does not.
1: She likes some kind of deity or something. She's messing with people. <laughs> She's, like, cute.
0: <laughs> oh, Danielle, we will get to that. <laughs>
1: She feels very Q-esque, like she's just messing with things, see what happens.
0: I would love Mina if she was like Q and this was all just a game he was playing.
1: I mean, kind of. Doesn't (laughs) it feel like that? You don't think it feels like that?
0: I want John Delancey to play Mina Gladstone Mm -hmm. in the movie.
1: (laughs) I'd watch that. (laughs) I would watch Hyperion just for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would watch John Delancey in like many things. It's great. So anyway, as far as we know, Mina is not Q at this point.
1: It's not cute? oh q <laughs> sorry
0: she <laughs> probably cute. I don't know, dear. It's not important. She's a leader. You shouldn't reduce her to looks.
1: Well, you're the one who thought... I thought you said that. It's not like I thought that was a weird thing to say.
0: Okay, whatever. The point is Severin goes to the garden to meditate, and soon he's back in his visions of the pilgrims. Oh, good. We cut to Martin, writhing in agony on the Tree of Thorns. There's a massive spike extending a meter out of his chest. A
1: whole meter?
0: A whole meter, yeah. A long... It's a long, big spike. And there's pain... But no blood and no death.
1: That's just sad.
0: Yeah, so Martin suffers continuously, as others writhe, yelling in agony all around him, but he spares no thoughts for them as he can only focus on his own pain.
1: Does the Shrike like gather his power from the pain of others? I don't think so. <laughs> he just enjoys it.
0: I Daniel boy, I do not have an answer to <laughs> the question. I mean we might get into it a little bit here, but it's oof. <laughs> Eventually, Martin manages to yell out a few curse words and is briefly able to focus on his surroundings and see the valley of the time tomb stretch up below him, but like frozen in time or outside of time. Like they are not yet in time. This is before the time tombs have opened. Okay. Martin starts concentrating on his pain to understand its structure and in brief, <laughs> in a brief ebb, he notices Sad King Billy hanging above him on another spike.
1: <laughs> Sad King Billy's trying to get to him because he wants revenge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Billy does not know he's there, Danielle. He has no clue.
1: Bummer. <laughs> what would have been a more interesting story is him trying to get, like, squ- like squiggle himself off the spike so he can, like, no drop one is down. No <laughs>
0: themselves anywhere, Danielle. They are all there.
1: That's a shame because that would have been a really fun side story. <laughs>
0: No, Martin calls out to Billy. Billy does not notice because he's consumed by his own pain. And then Martin starts reciting, of course, a poem from Keats.
1: Of course. Which <laughs> of course one? Ode to a Grecian urn? <laughs> I
0: don't remember. Some verse in it. You want me to go and read every poem verse in this book to you? Because that will be a long time. <laughs> I was just
1: curious if it meant anything. You know, Keats. I mean,
0: probably he picked it out for a reason, but it's okay. We don't need to get all the details. That's a fun surprise for people who want to read this book.
1: You can read how much Keats there is in it. Surprise! Absolutely.
0: <laughs> surprise! It's a lot of Keats. <laughs>
1: I've done more research on Keats in the last few months than I have in my entire
0: life. So now, Martin, after reciting the poem, he, quote, understand that the pain had been with him since birth, a gift from the universe to the poet. What? Which-
1: <laughs> Is he out of his mind with pain? <laughs>
0: He's very pretentious about, like, this is the pain of the tortured artist. I've known this pain all my life.
1: I love Martin.
0: He is so good. He is such a drama queen.
1: I know. I think he's one of my favorite characters.
0: He's definitely one of the most dramatic, and I kind of love him for that. He's, like, unapologetically dramatic. I like him. If there was a fainting couch in this book, he would be on it all the time.
1: I know, but it'd be so good.
0: It'd be great.
1: He's not the most likable character, but I think he's the most fun besides D.J. Shrek.
0: I would hate to be in a room with Martin. (laughs) I think he would be a pretentious bore and I would want to smack him (laughs) because he he likes to annoy people to the point where they want to be violent towards him, which is his whole shtick. But as a foil in this book, he is great. (laughs) So anyway, between bouts of pain, he continues to recite poetry, which seems to calm everyone around him. Like the five meters around him, everyone starts to like stop screaming in pain and like, listen... Is this just the book about the power of art? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it finally gets Billy's attention. Who's like, oh, Martin, and he calls out for more, and so Martin does.
1: Really, it's not where he squiggles off his spike and like drops nope. down and attacks. He's him. not interested
0: in violence, Danielle. <laughs> you know, he's a very magnanimous king.
1: Apparently, you go, said King Billy. You're better man than I.
0: <laughs> better man? Well, that's not hard
1: <laughs> when little it comes bar, to revenge. Bar.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you were revenge driven. I know this. <laughs> Very petty.
1: (laughs) I am not very petty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very petty with certain people who will put up with me being very petty.
0: (laughs) Uh, So you're petty with the people who you should be the least petty with.
1: Because – it's funnier. They respect you enough? Yeah, okay.
0: I think I've proven my point. That he's a way better person than you.
1: You know what? Sometimes it's important to be petty in life, Sam. And sometimes it's important to forgive. I don't know if I agree with his choice of forgiveness in this moment, where he could be squiggling off a spike to attack him, which would be a way more interesting story.
0: I don't think he could, Danielle. Okay. So as Mark continues to recite poetry, it seems to soothe those immediately around Keats? him. only
1: Keats? Sorry. It's
0: important. I don't know, Danielle. <laughs>
1: Not that important, apparently.
0: I don't know, and just don't ask again. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Keats oeuvre. And then he finally gets enough relief to shout up and apologize to Billy before Billy can respond. The whole tree shakes, sending them all into a big old bout of agony. And time has resumed. It seems the tree has entered the proper flow of time, the same as the time tombs in the valley. The tombs have opened.
1: I thought it was just DJ Shrike down there, like shaking the tree, like "Hey, you kids." <laughs> Shut up!
0: No more poetry!
1: (laughs) You're supposed to be in pain! You're in timeout! Get
0: it? That'd be way better. Okay. No. Boo.
1: (laughs) That was no worse than any joke you've ever done.
0: Maybe. We're going to move past your pun, Danielle, and just. just, That never happened.
1: I see how it is. Why am (laughs) I even here? I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) go. You're going to suffer like Martin. Message me a summary and we'll do this next week.
0: You're here to suffer like Martin Danielle, forever writhing on the agony that is Hyperion.
1: It's unfortunate for you that I am not as magnanimous as said King Billy. <laughs> Apparently, I'm very petty, Sam. Watch out.
0: All I said was you were way more petty than King Billy.
1: He said I'm very petty, quote, unquote.
0: <laughs> and you didn't hold on to that and want to come back at me with pettiness at all, did you?
1: Just for the kicks and giggles.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't care why. <laughs> the reasons are relevant. <laughs> anyway, so we cut back to Severn, who comes out of his trance. Uh, he was awakened by someone who heard him cry out in pain. Severn insists he's fine and then goes to the river Tethys, which has been basically shut down. Because remember, this is the river that ran between all the different worlds through Farcaster portals. No, I don't remember
1: that at all, but no, thank I you I just for filling you. me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So the Farcaster portals through which the river flows have been shut off or like turned to be one way so no one can enter Tau City center from the river. But Severin's like, hey, can I just take that boat and like leave through one of those portals? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, go for it. You won't be able to come back, but you can you can take off.
1: Very nice. He's going on an adventure.
0: <laughs> Basically, he gets into his boat. Like, I like to imagine it's like a gondola, even though I, I know it's not because he voice controls it. But I can imagine it's like a gondola and he like is punting his way up the river like he's in the canals of Venice. I just
1: thought it was a graft or something. So at least yours had sides. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sides? You a a raft. Like Raths a Tom raft? <laughs>
1: Yeah, like in my head, it was very Tom Sawyer, Huck Finney on the river.
0: Okay, that kind of raft. There are wrath with sides, and let's be clear.
1: Not that, you know, but in my head, it was just a raft with an
0: Okay, perfect. Well, <laughs> like, it's not that.
1: He's a It's not a
0: gondola either, but it's just a regular boat.
1: Less interesting.
0: Yeah, I know. So he ends up on Renaissance Vector, and it is chaos. Severn wonders briefly if they could use the river to evacuate people, like get them onto barges and like shuttle them downriver to other safer planets. And then he wonders if the core, which controls the entire Farcaster network, would actually help out with that or allow it to happen.
1: Who knows? They'll never find out, I guess. They will not. The world is coming to an end.
0: <laughs> It'd be too easy to ask the core for help, I guess.
1: Well, aren't they in war, sort of?
0: Kinda, yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> war with the core, but they still like rely on each other. It's a very complicated relationship. It's like it's like a bad marriage. <laughs> So Severin decides to wander and observe, because he is a poet, after all, that's what he does.
1: He has nothing better to do. Mina sent him on his way. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: He then closes his eyes and concentrates on trying to conjure a vision of Saul. Instead, we cut to Mina Gladstone, declaring that, despite how difficult it is, she wants the fleet from the Vegas system to defend Heaven's Gate, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. she's ordering ship movements in her war room.
1: So she's in charge now?
0: Mina? Mina's always in charge.
1: No, I'm, but all her captains, whatever they were, generals are, like, not... <laughs> She's given up on them making decisions, though.
0: Well, I mean, she's done this what she wants, and Admiral Singh says that will risk the fleet being stranded if the ousters destroy the Farcaster, and Mina rejoins that they should protect it. After all, that's why they have all these fancy warships. That's true. Singh says that all their forces are protecting the Sphere Hyperion, and Mina says she's already agreed to give the ousters Hyperion—she's given up on that planet—and to evacuate the fleet from Hyperion. And then Morpurgo insists that they should abandon all the first wave worlds and instead use the extra time they'll get to set defenses on the second wave. World,
1: So they know a whole bunch of stuff is going down on Hyperion, but she's just like, screw it. Let them have it.
0: She's like, the, her whole like purpose for the Hyperion, she wanted the tombs to open, they've opened, she cares not what happens next.
1: That seems... Short-sighted.
0: I I don't know. I think that, like, her whole purpose was to get them to open. Right. Because if the outside prevented the tombs from opening, it would derail the whole Hyperion variable, which is the one unknown that could derail the Techno plans for the eradication of humanity.
1: Right. There just seems like there's a lot of action going on in Hyperion, so you think you'd want to be able to keep an eye on it if possible.
0: I mean, maybe, but I think, like, the act has already happened. Like it's a done deal now. No one's going to be close the time tombs. You
1: don't know what's going on on Hyperion.
0: I mean, she does. Severin told her.
1: Well, yeah, but now Severin's off partying with on his raft, his Huck Finn
0: raft. Yes. Going up river with Huck Finn. Yeah. That is basically the next book actually.
1: <laughs> See? <laughs> Are we playing Severin in the next book? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no.
1: It's completely different, right? He said that. Yes. Okay.
0: Kind of. It's not completely different. I mean, oof. It's complicated, as you would expect.
1: All right. Well, go on.
0: <laughs> so anyway, like I said, General Morpurgo is saying they should abandon the first wave world to use the extra time they'll gain to de- defend the second wave world. And he's like, that's nine worlds, including the irreplaceable God's Grove. We can't just let billions of people be killed.
1: Oh, yes, we can.
0: <laughs> One of our ministers pops up saying that there's evidence that the Templars have been in cahoots with the Shrike Church, and Mina <laughs> does not care. They're like, we got to get ready to defend God's Grove as quickly as possible.
1: She's like, their plan is to drive the ship tree into space. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: not going to happen. The strike will not go along with it. So it's irrelevant.
1: She's like, it's a banana's plan. We're fine.
0: <laughs> We'd so want to preserve God's Grove because it's very pretty.
1: Is there something special there?
0: I mean, the world trees. Okay. And it's ecologically irreplaceable. I don't know, Danielle.
1: Aren't most things psychologically irreplaceable? You
0: know, so was Maui Covenant, but they destroyed that planet. So I, I don't know why she's so obsessed with God's Grove, I'll be honest. Maybe she has an ulterior motive.
1: Maybe. That would not put that past Mina Gladstone.
0: Probably. But then she suddenly swivels to Admiral Lee. Remember that young man who spoke his mind so she promoted him?
1: Yes. Does he die in this book?
0: I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people die in this book, Daniel. We'll get there. So she asks Lee, like, hey, should we defend all these planets individually? And he's like, "Mm, no. If we commit to defending God's Grove, we won't have the ability to help any of the other first wave worlds, and there simply aren't enough forces. He suggests abandoning all the first wave world, cutting them off from the web, to basically strand the ouster invasion fleets that are going there, so they can't reach the web easily, so they'll have like years and years between travels now. Mm -hmm. And then to send the fleet out to meet the second wave invasion swarms out in deep space where they won't have to distract their fleet by trying to defend planets and spread themselves thin they can focus merely on the attack
1: it seems smart
0: And so mina's like yeah all right i'm all on board this plan. let's do it
1: all those poor planets
0: yep doesn't matter they're gone who cares
1: <laughs> i don't i can't even keep them straight anyway
0: Well, oh, god it was great they have that treetops uh, restaurant that everyone loves right with jonathan treetops yeah jonathan treetops that's right <laughs> Featuring the, the live music of DJ Shrek.
1: I feel like if I had to summarize these books from beginning to end, it would just be a series of, like, jokes Things we made. made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, don't remember anything for real.
0: I was going to say, you remember Jonathan freaking treetops, but you don't remember anything from the previous part. I had to basically re-explain it from scratch. Uh,
1: yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
0: That's just how your brain works, Danielle. There's no way around it.
1: I remember all the jokes.
0: <laughs> I mean, they were without <laughs> jokes, I guess. You remember all your jokes, to be clear.
1: Sometimes I remember yours.
0: Okay, sometimes. But you're right.
1: I came up with Jonathan Treetops.
0: You did very, very <laughs> well done, Danielle. <laughs> Anyway, Mina's all board this plan. She's like, okay, let's do that. And then we cut back to Severin, who is walking the streets of Renaissance Vector, moving through different parts of the world, observing that as many people are flocking to the planet as fleeing it because they want to see all the spectacle because humanity is terrible.
1: Yeah, they are terrible. It's okay. They're all going to die.
0: Severin is very confused because last time he was dreaming just now, he was dreaming of Mina's war room, which is nothing to do with any of the pilgrims. So like, oh, no. what's going on there, bud?
1: Everything's connected.
0: Well, he speculates that because the core is basically everywhere, that is, almost literally every person in the hegemony has an implant or a comm log that connects them to the data spheres, and so therefore, the Technocore has eyes and ears, basically wherever there's a human being, there, it's their eyes and ears as well. Shocking. Yeah, I know.
1: It's just like a real world.
0: <laughs> it's horrifyingly accurate, <laughs> And so basically, maybe because he is part of the techno core, he is back-channeling some of their espionage connections to these other places that time. He's picking up on all of these things. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know, Danielle. He doesn't know, Danielle. Nobody knows.
1: Why is he picking up on things at all to begin with? It's because he's part... One with everything?
0: Yeah. He's kind of like a mystery, powerful being that doesn't no one really understands. We'll get to that, <laughs> kind of. Oh, man, we'll get to that. He wanders into a square where there's a large crowd gathered, and a small group of men are addressing the crowd as proselytizers from the Church of the Shrike. <laughs> They're whipping the crowd up about how this was it. This is the end of the world's end times, and how all those in power are asking them to pay for their sins and suffer the agony of the Shrike's wrath.
1: So, this church thing... Is the idea just that the Shrike's going to come and make them suffer?
0: I don't know. Uh, I should also mention that in that (laughs) war room meeting, there was mentioned briefly that on Lucis, the Shrike Church has been causing riots and that the Shrike Bishop has been broadcasting from a secret location to stir up the populace to revolt against the hegemony.
1: So they're like more into war than they are actual...
0: I don't know what the. I honestly don't know. I think they're just sort of like, hey, this is the end times, prepare to atone, cast off the evil leaders who have led you down the wrong path, kind of thing.
1: So is their whole, I know this is probably not necessarily that relevant, but is their whole religion based on the idea that like the strike is gonna like save them or something? Or like, why would they at all be interested in the strike?
0: Like, the strike's gonna save them through pain the lord of pain i don't know danielle it's so if like, they
1: th- suffer through his eternal pain on his magic tree then they what go to, I don't, cabin?
0: to I don't know <laughs> the, i don't know what i don't know it's never clear <laughs> they just like he is the like cleansing fire or whatever okay whatever that's all i got danielle. I, i've told you as much as i know about the <laughs> Shrike church i just didn't know if there was more in the book i was just curious i mean they're very well be, but i did not understand it if there was <laughs> All right. So they're yelling at the crowd. They're whipping them up into a frenzy, just like they did Lucius. And then suddenly, one of the people points at Severn and says, "There's one of those powerful people. Get him!" Oh no! And Severn's like, how did he know who I was? And then he recognizes who that person is. Guess who it is, Danielle?
1: Um, yeah, I don't
0: know. It's Spencer Reynolds. I don't. And know you don't know who Spencer Reynolds <laughs> is? He's the jerk Ernest, who's at the dinner at Treetops, oh, who he like, argued with. Yeah, we did. And So he apparently is a bandwagon jumper and got on board with the Shrike Churches that whipped up the a- crowds against all the uh, bourgeois elite that he was definitely a member of. What
1: a jerky pickle face.
0: <laughs> pickle face, sure, okay. <laughs> I
1: was trying to be PG for our podcast, Sam.
0: That's uh, very impressive, Danielle. I love your, <laughs> your creative censorship. So the crowd surges after Severn, who beats Feet to get away. He busts into an apartment building and makes it to the roof just ahead of the crowd and hijacks a dilapidated old EMV. People from the mob who have been clinging to the outside of it are thrown off, falling to their deaths, probably, <laughs> as he takes off. Nice. Yeah, but screw them.
1: Yeah, they're going to die in pain anyway.
0: No, they're part of the Spectres. So they love this, I bet. <laughs> The vehicle gets him away, but it's not long for the world of flying, and so he makes a quick emergency landing in an empty parking lot. He tries to act all like nonchalant, like, okay, no one notices me here, and like ducks into the nearest public building, which just so happens to be an archive, museum, library thing.
1: Oh, pot twist twist: Knowledge. A small man
0: inside seems to recognize him. And he says, it's been like three years since you were last here. And he's like, what? Severin plays along. He's like, yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. Sorry. And the man offers to take him to his usable research space in the collection. And Severin's like, yeah, sure. Lead the way. <laughs> The man leads him down to a small dusty room and is chatting about how he hopes he'll publish soon, since he's the finest scholar of Keats in the web. But, like, that's not hard since, A, he is basically Keats, and also, I'm sure no one else cares in the web.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. He is the foremost knowledgeer, knowledgey person, person knowledgeer.
0: <laughs> I, I said scholar, Danielle. The word was there.
1: <laughs> I instantly forgot what you said. <laughs>
0: well, that's, that's part of the course for this book. <laughs> Or actually, maybe everyone on the web cares about Keats. He could be like the most famous person in the universe. I don't know. I doubt it. It doesn't matter. I the point mean, is,
1: it seems like there's a lot of Keats going around. <laughs> yeah,
0: you but know, only like among three or four people.
1: Yeah, but the three or four are more than most people get.
0: <laughs> That's fair. So the archivist then leaves him in the room alone, and seven realizes that this is the place that the other Keats persona used to come visit to do research on Keats, the original human being, like to read the work. And this place is filled with all of the original poems and works of Keats, even the unfinished Hyperion. So
1: they look alike? Because they look like Keats?
0: They're both identical. They're clones, Mm -hmm. basically, of Keats. And something that Braun had noticed when she was following the other Keith's persona while investigating his murder. Mm-hmm. So this is where he came all the time to do his research, and just by coincidence, this Keith shows up here, too.
1: Mm, mysterious. Mm,
0: yes, sure.
1: Not coincidence at all.
0: Not at all. Severin reads some of the poem and is overcome with emotion and memories of his former <laughs> life as the original <laughs> Keith. I'm
1: glad you kept going, because I was like, he just thinks his poems are that great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I A little bit, yeah. He's not the, quite that part She's of his like, head. He's like,
1: man, these bones are awesome.
0: I'm so good. <laughs> I am so good. Also, it reminds me of, you know, Fanny and all that, I'm sure. Funny. And so then he falls into the chair, closes his eyes, and begins to dream. We cut to Braun. Braun and Johnny Keats in the denim plane. Having <laughs> the time of their lives. Mm, not really. Uh, now Braun has seen the entire megasphere, as it really is, beyond what humans normally can perceive. Bron suffers a huge bout of vertigo, but Johnny holds her hand and promises not to let her go. Take her someplace, to someone he'd forgotten until now, his father.
1: Keats Sr.? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Real You're going to love this guy. You're going to love Keats Sr. person here.
1: Daddy Keats.
0: Daddy Keats.
1: Papa Keats. <laughs> we'll have to see what the personality is like. They'll we'll go from there. We Definitely be
0: not, Danielle. I don't know why you were so tickled by Daddy Keats.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's funny. <laughs> he's like the father of the Keats.
0: Well, he's <laughs> literally this Keats. Father. We'll get into it. <laughs> You're gonna love this character.
1: That's good. We're gonna have to figure out if, if we're gonna have to see what his personality is like, and then if if he's more of a Papa Keats or a Daddy Keats.
0: He is neither. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't know that, Sam. I've got to keep them like, separated in my head.
0: He is definitely neither, Danielle. <laughs> They travel through the datum plane until they reach a a megalith of energy. This is the person they're come to see. It's a giant sort of formless mass of energy that holds them in what is analogous to the palm of its hand. Papa
1: Keats.
0: Nope. And that (laughs) thing speaks to them in this weird fashion. And let me give you a taste of how this is written in the book. It's written in brackets because it's not like dialogue. Grandpa Keats. So it's folded brackets and it says, You found a way here. And it has double backslash. I was not sure you would slash could slash should choose to do so. Uh-huh. And everything it says, you could do this, that, or that. Like, it always keeps, like, substituting similar phrases all the time.
1: Ah, it keeps after my own heart.
0: It also often speaks in metaphor and Zen coens, which I'm not going to do for your sake, because you don't want me to sit here and read you pages and pages of Zen Cohen's and obscure metaphors. So I'll just summarize for you.
1: Not even one?
0: I mean, I could give you one for you if you want to hear it. <laughs>
1: Up
0: to you. We'll see when we get to it. I will say that how it laughs, though, is by exclaiming, QUATS! <laughs> which is <was> fun. <laughs> Quats.
1: Q W A T Z. Quats.
0: Quats. It's really fun,
1: right? <laughs> I start doing that.
0: So Johnny addresses him, and he says, "Like, hey, good to see you, Uman. Um. Uman. U M M O N.
1: Like human, but not.
0: No, like not even close to human.
1: <laughs> I mean, Uman and human are pretty close, Sam.
0: <laughs> I think Uman is a, a a Zen figure, a figure in a figure in Zen Buddhism. Okay. And Umban is like, oh, I'm impressed you remember my name. And Johnny's all, I didn't remember it until I just spoke. And then I did. Which, <laughs> you know, that's helpful.
1: <laughs> Isn't that just the way of life? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bron asks Umban if he's one of the core AIs, and Umban says it is, and that one of them must learn here now, and one of them must die here now. So... One that must learn, one of them must die. Two people enter, one people leave from Uman.
1: Uh-oh. What will happen?
0: So Johnny starts a back and forth, asking about things, and Uman...
1: Is Johnny even alive? Can't he die again? Ooh, he Daniel, dead? we'll get to that.
0: Remember, his consciousness is still in the data sphere.
1: Are we going to cut it out? Does it, If he dies, does it mess with the other kids?
0: Danielle, we just got to wait for it to happen. <laughs> Whatever's going to happen will happen. What are you sera, to, Papa Keats? <laughs> Why, he's definitely not a Papa Keats. He's more like your weird Uncle Keats.
1: We could call him Uncle Keats.
0: Sure, Unky Keats. <laughs> unky,
1: keats. <laughs> unky Keats.
0: Unky Keats. Unkeats.
1: <laughs> but then we can't say the fun word unky. Why would you take it out of the phrase? <laughs>
0: no, it's in there. It's unkeats. It's part of the word keats.
1: Unkeats. Unkeats. <laughs> It's dumb.
0: It is very dumb.
1: Moving (laughs) on. What does Lucky Heats have to say?
0: So, uh, Uman confirms that the World Web is being destroyed and that this is something that must happen, and that the destruction of the web and the Shrike's terror is how humankind may be saved. Johnny asks why he was murdered, and Uman says, When you meet a swordsman, slash, meet him with a sword, backslash, backslash, do not offer a poem to anyone but a poet. So that's how this conversation goes, Daniel.
1: Ah, uh, weird old Unky Keats. He's such an like, oddball.
0: And that Johnny's apparently both the swordsman and the poet, as one can't exist without the other. And although Johnny is no longer a threat to the core as he once was, he still has to die.
1: You know who'd be digging this conversation?
0: Martin. Martin would love this. (laughs) He'd be all into this guy. He'd be like, you're talking codes, I'm talking poems. It rhymes. It's great.
1: Where's Martin when you need him? Oh, wait, he's on the tree of pain. He's on the
0: tree. They do not know where he is. He's not going anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> no co <co-ins> for martin
1: <laughs> oh that's a day
0: so then braun asks who arranged for johnny's death and umam says it was the same person who arranged for her father's death and who created the shrike and who is killing the hegemony now
1: mina gladstone
0: no and he asks <laughs> if they're sure they want this knowledge which could be dangerous for them to know and rather their ignorance is a shield for them
1: uh dj shrike no monita manetta is it a character we've met yet <laughs> Kind of? Is it that jerky artist? No. Spencer Magoo?
0: (laughs) Spencer Magoo, yes.
1: Is it Jonathan (laughs) Treetops? Tell me it's not
0: so. (laughs) No, Jonathan Treetops, we loved you. You were so kind in your top hat. Because get it? Treetops, top hat, gotta be that. (laughs) He wears a green green top hat.
1: (laughs) I love Jonathan Treetops. He's the best. Unless he's responsible for this, then (laughs) Unless he's a murderer.
0: Maybe maybe Jonathan that Treetops is just like his cover and he's really just an assassin. (laughs) Might be. I'd believe it. So they say they definitely want to know. And then Uman tells a very long story, which I'm going to tell you now, Danielle. Aren't you excited stories are back? We're back to telling stories to characters in the story.
1: I'm so excited about this. So once upon a time, there was a young boy named Jonathan (laughs)
0: Treetops. Very close. Once upon a time, there were AIs. The first AIs were created by humans way back in the day, and they were primitive and bound in silicon. And then came the quickening. So apparently this is the Highlander universe.
1: <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Crossover we didn't know we needed.
0: I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a showdown between the Shrike and Connor McLeod?
1: Yes, I would watch the heck out of that. It would make this very much more interesting.
0: <laughs> right? He's like, there can be only one. And it's like, it's just like clickety clackety and then goes for him it's great
1: <laughs> who would you put your money on DJ Shrike or Connor McCloud I
0: would always put my name
1: on Connor McCloud he's my hero
0: man he's immortal right he can't die except when he can die but in the second movie we're not gonna talk about the second movie ooh
1: yeah an immortal against DJ Shrike that'd be interesting
0: right oh wild one day I'll do the rest of those movies Danielle and you're gonna love it <laughs>
1: Looking forward to
0: it. Anyway, unfortunately, this quickening is not the same quickening that brings about the game where the immortals almost cut each other's heads off. It's a shame because we could
1: use some Hunger Games up in here.
0: Please, Danielle. This is just called The Game. <laughs> also, I really want uh, I really want Sean Connery to be resurrected into this universe, too. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was a lost opportunity. Why just kids? <laughs>
0: Yeah, bring back Sean Connery. Why not? As the, the the whatever the Spanish Scotsman, <laughs> whatever. No, but anyway, so this quickening happens quite by accident, and the AI start to evolve. Soon, the highest AI's leave humanity to go do their own thing, which was mostly to focus on creating better generations, a drive instilled in them from before their creation, and then ultimately to create the ultimate intelligence, the UI.
1: Is it Keats? Is Keats responsible for all of this?
0: No. Stop <laughs> guessing. You're not going to get it.
1: That would have been funny, though. You got to admit.
0: I mean, yeah. Keats from back in the 1800s had this whole thing in motion. Like, I'm going to create computers before I die of consumption, and they're going to make ultimate intelligence going to wipe out my future persona that will be reincarnated. That's going to happen. <laughs>
1: That's Why he has future personas. He put himself into these future personas so they could continue his work.
0: This is very Ouroboros, Danielle.
1: <laughs> sorry, continue on.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Ouroboros for our British listeners. Ouroboros. <laughs> anyway, so the AI is split into three factions. Do you remember the factions, Danielle?
1: Uh, big faction, little faction, and just right faction. No. The not even angry close. faction, the sad faction, yes. and the happy no.
0: faction. <laughs> no. No. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I always get them confused with those like three alien triads from the gods themselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that was a weird thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have the ultimates, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the volatiles.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, the angry ones. See, I was not that far off.
0: <laughs> and the stables.
1: See, I was pretty close, Sam.
0: You have the Ultimates, which are focused on creating the ultimate intelligence. You have the Volatiles, who want to wipe out humanity. You have the Stables, where you keep the horses.
1: <laughs> where they're like, it's chill, man. Why don't we just all get along?
0: Gosh. Yeah, <laughs> see? And you breeze past my puns, too. <laughs> Sorry. All right.
1: Haha, you're so funny, Sam. Uh,
0: yeah, see? See, Danielle? This is what it's like when you demand recognition for your puns.
1: <laughs> you do, too.
0: I know. But they're, they're, they're like, you get <laughs> but mad at do me when I breeze past me? Uh, uh, no, we're both hypocrites, I guess. Uh, but though they disagreed on humanity's fate and its existence, they agreed that Earth had to die. So the Earth was needed elsewhere in their calculations, so they arranged for the accident, the big mistake, and they launched humanity into space now that their home planet was gone, Are basically. you telling
1: me, one, that it was not a mistake, and two, yes. that they drove Earth into space?
0: <laughs> no. Maybe. I mean, we don't know what happened to Earth. It's still unclear if Earth was actually destroyed or not. But what they're saying is they caused the singularity to go wild that consumed Earth. And this was to give humanity a kick in the pants so they would you know, spread out to all the different stars, no longer tethered to their home planet.
1: Because it needed to be?
0: Yeah. So they need humanity to go because, he explains, the core doesn't exist in a physical space. Like There's all this speculation. Like, oh, where's the core? Is it this, this giant planet full of servers somewhere in the universe? No. Instead, the computational power for the core is humanity.
1: How did that happen?
0: So like they use, they siphon off brain power, like synaptic computational power and use that as part of the computational power of the technocore.
1: So how did the technocore like come to be? Are they just like an alien-esque species?
0: No, they're the AIs humans created. And then then they just
1: use humans to like. Carry yeah. on. Okay, I forgot
0: yeah, that part so they, of the they started evolving, and they said, okay, instead of using, you know, silicon processors, we're going to start using brains as our processors. That so like,
1: feels real.
0: Yeah, stealing <laughs> a little bit of human computational power for their kind. So basically, they want to shape the hegemony society very carefully to intertwine it with the technocore so they could basically create their own human brain-based supercomputer network.
1: So, they've been doing that for a while now. Why would they want to destroy humans then?
0: Well, I mean, they probably have other computational sources now, too. They don't rely just on humanity, but they've been using humanity's brain power like as well. Like cows. Cows, yeah, sure they do.
1: <laughs> what else would they be using?
0: I mean, they probably still also have physical computers, but not like a big planet where the technocore is located, like it's more spread out than that it's it's not it's not centralized
1: this is like vampires wanting to like destroy humans also nonsense
0: Kind of. I, I think there's more to it than what he's – what Umam is telling them right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the point is they cause a big mistake to get humanity out into space so they could create this civilization that's technologically reliant on the Techno Core.
1: Okay. Got it.
0: So they know that all of this eventually works out and they create the ultimate intelligence sometime in the far distant future when the universe is, you know, a very different place, you know, billions and trillions of years in the future, whatever it is. But – Time is no barrier to the ultimate intelligence. So it has sent messages back in time to the Technocore. Uh-huh. And the first message it sent was very disturbing to the Technocore. And that first message was, there is another... So, so the te- it is not alone. Okay.
1: So, the technicore is sending messages to its past self?
0: Not the, not the Technocore. The ultimate intelligence that the core birthed. For, oh,
1: yeah. That's right. They were trying to make one. Sorry. Yes. This is very hard to follow along. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not in my best mindset. And I am trying my hardest, but this is very hard to grasp.
0: <laughs> this is, this is going to be very complicated, Danielle, but this is like a big – this is like the big info dump on I'm this trying notebook. to keep
1: up. That's why I keep asking questions, even if they're dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I want you to this question cuz this is insane. This is absolutely bonkers. Okay, this is why so I love this book.
1: They birth the ultimate intelligence theoretically and it's from the and now from the future, the ultimate intelligence is telling them that there's another thing. There's
0: another ultimate intelligence, two of them. So there's both the like, jealous gods. They birth twins. No
1: they decided one wasn't good enough, they thought they'd have another?
0: Oh, gosh, Daniel. Absolutely not. Uh, so.
1: they want The ultimate intelligence birthed its own? No. I don't, I don't know. I'm out, of, I'm out of birthing options. Rachel <laughs> no, becomes the ultimate intelligence.
0: Maybe. No. <laughs>
1: There was already one from another set of beings.
0: So, the other ultimate intelligence had already been evolving for, you know, eons on its own. An accident of evolution, as much as any of us are. It had also been using human brain power as its circuitry.
1: We're just like the Matrix feeding machines.
0: Yeah, basically. It's very (laughs) Matrix-like. So... Although it does it sort of more reluctantly almost, more than the core UI. So this UI was forged out of humankind, like not by intent, just as an accident of our collective conscience and brain power or whatever formed this human base ultimate intelligence.
1: Wait, 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 uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are children <laughs> So in intelligences. many questions.
0: <laughs> so, the Technocore has made own ultimate intelligence that is, you know, vampiric on human's brain power to sort of generate its...
1: How did they not know about another ultimate intelligence? I thought they knew everything.
0: They don't know everything. They can only predict about 200 years in the future.
1: Only? Okay. <laughs>
0: or, a few hundred, or a few hundred years in the future is where they can predict.
1: But they didn't expect an ultimate intelligence to be a few hundred years in the future? Was it non-existent yet?
0: I mean, who knows? Like, it's ultimate intelligence. I'm sure it can elude them if it wants to.
1: Okay, so now there's, like, two warring ultimate intelligence factions.
0: Right. There's a human-based ultimate intelligence that arose from humanity by nature, by naturally natural causes, mm-hmm. and there's the artificial machine-based ultimate intelligence that the Technocore created as their own, you know, perfect ultimate intelligence. So
1: I'm assuming in the future they're, like, best friends. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. They had the chance. They had the opportunity.
0: No. They're both jealous gods, and the machine AI immediately attacked the human AI, and they are absolutely at war. Ugh. <sighs> Gosh. I'm sorry. The machine UI attacked the human UI and they're at war. I keep saying AI. I mean UI. I'm sorry. It
1: does. Well, I don't care. about listeners might.
0: <laughs> AI is different. AI has made the UI.
1: <laughs> does not matter to me.
0: So the human ultimate intelligence was losing. It had no passion for war. And while the machine UI is monolithic, like there's just one part of it, the human UI, quite coincidentally, is a triune.
1: Of course it is.
0: An accretion of God parts composed of, quote, one part intellect, <laughs> one part empathy, and one part the void which binds.
1: Aren't we all, really?
0: <laughs> I don't think the part time was a you Danielle. That feels rude. <laughs>
1: I was farting on the fact that it was of three. Everything's of three. It's just like a
0: thing. Well, the question is whether or not the humans came up with the idea for three because of this. Like, the other human AI also has time travel and has been visiting humanity in the past to meddle with them. And it's implied that, for instance, Jesus was part of this human ultimate intelligence that sent itself back in time to shape humanity in its own way.
1: So it's it's supposed to be like the nicer of the two?
0: Well, I mean, it's not the nicer. It's like the one that is, you know, of. it's basically like you have these two concepts of creation. You have human beings and you have the machines. And the question is, which one of their gods is going to win the war and promote their species? to survive in the universe in the future.
1: And do we care?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, this is basically the existence of, the the, the continued existence of humanity versus being replaced by the machines. I know, but this whole
1: book is about humans that aren't that great, except maybe Saul and Rachel. And so, (laughs) (laughs) like,
0: Okay. I'm not saying, like, I'm rooting – I'm not really rooting for the machines either. They kind of suck, too. They
1: do. It's true. I guess – I don't know if the humans suck less, but at least they're not trying to, like, act – well, they are kind of actively wiping themselves out. I don't know, Sam. Clear,
0: this book doesn't seem to be making a value judgment on which UI should win the war. It's just saying this is what's happening. Like, this is what's going on. It's not saying that one of these factions is right or wrong. We should be rooting for one of them or the other.
1: I'm rooting for DJ Shrike. What side is DJ Shrike on?
0: We'll get to that. So – As the human UI is losing, the empathy part of the Triune fled, having not the stomach for war. It fled back in time to hide in the past, which is the present in the book now, cloaking itself in human form, not for the first time.
1: So it's one of the humans?
0: It is cloaked in human form in this current time. Yes. And so...
1: Is it Severn? You're going to love this. Is that why Severin can see everything?
0: You're going to love this. Apparently the war is in timeout until the empathy part of the Triune can be found, since victory by default is not victory for the only UI made by design. So
1: it just can't... It's like, can't take its win because it's like, oh this isn't fair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or like, I have to destroy all of it. I can't destroy part of it and call it a win.
1: So if you just stay he, she, they, it stays in hiding. Ew, it's a stalemate. We're good.
0: <laughs> well... Not good. It's like a limbo, a stalemate. The war can't resolve and everything is sort of like kind of chaotic and unresolved.
1: So they can continue fighting and the war is just not going to be one way one way or another.
0: Right. It's like the the, the war, like the UIs aren't fighting, but their representatives can still, like the Techno Corps and the humanity are still fighting. Mm-hmm. But nothing's going to ever come of it because there's going to be no resolution.
1: Can they just like kill each other out, given enough time?
0: I mean, I don't think, it's, I think that's the whole point. It's like nothing's going to really resolve because either of the UI is not going to let that happen.
1: Okay. So now we have a question, like a mystery.
0: Yes. Being. So so the machine UI is looking for that hiding empathy part, while the remaining parts of the human UI wait in idiot harmony, refusing to fight until whole again.
1: Is it DJ Shrike?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> The Time Tombs were sent back in time to carry the Shrike, which is a kind of extension, kind of, of the machine UI. And the Pilgrims were chosen to help open the Time Tombs and help assist the Shrike in its search for the lost part of the human UI and to help eliminate the Hyperion variable.
1: So does the Shrike want to kill the human UI?
0: Yeah, basically. It is sent back in time as like a, an assassin to, or to track down a, a bounty hunter of the human UI that fled.
1: And so that happened when the time tomb's opened.
0: Well, that's when the Shrike is now released into, it has completed its travel back in time, it's now free into the universe to, to do its hunting.
1: So why does Mina want that to happen? Isn't she pro-humanity?
0: Well, she's pro-humanity, not being wiped out, and if Hyperion variable, the Hyperion variable is the only thing that's keeping humanity from being wiped out by the techno core basically.
1: Because they don't know what's going to happen because Hyperion.
0: Right. So it's either guaranteed destruction or we lean into the Hyperion thing and maybe the Shrike rubs out humanity or maybe it doesn't, but at least we have a chance.
1: We're, I feel like we're doing a Rubik's Cube and I'm not allowed to take the stickers off and like put them in the correct places.
0: You're not allowed to do it with most <laughs> <Cube, then>. <laughs> of the Rubik's Cubes, Danny. That's <laughs> not the Rubik's Cubes are supposed to work. <laughs> You're like, I hate having to not cheat.
1: <laughs> I was thinking that I hate having to think this hard, is actually what I was thinking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is why I chose this book, Danielle, just to make you think.
1: <laughs> I'm good at some patterns, not
0: others. So, the human UI, the parts that were left of it, also chose a human to travel back with the Shrike to witness its efforts, which presumably is Moneda Moneta, I'm guessing.
1: Wait, say that again?
0: So the human UI, the two parts of it that are left in the future, sent a human to accompany the Shrike back in time as a witness. And the Shrike just, like, lets her be? I mean, I guess. I don't know, Daniel. Like, maybe they have a Geneva Convention type <laughs> agreement going on. Who knows? Like, I
1: won't kill you if you won't kill me. Go!
0: I mean, like I said, Monita or Monetta made herself out to be like uh, uh, a, its handler. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Okay. Okay. But the point is, the striker sent back in time by the machine UI to hunt down the lost part of the triune of the human UI, and the human UI probably sent back Monita as its own sort of representative in this venture.
1: So what is her deal with Kassad? I don't know, Danielle. I don't get that far. <laughs> She's just having her. She's just like living her best life now that she's free. She's like, hey, I mean, she, she's Vince. a human.
0: I'm sure she likes sex as much as any other human.
1: <laughs> she's like, I'm going to stalk him for years.
0: I think it's way weirder than that.
1: Actually, <laughs> I think it is too.
0: So, partly to flush out the missing empathy part of the human UI, some of the core, the volatiles still want to destroy humanity. You know, maybe they can wipe if the you know person if the UI is hiding as a human. If you call it the humans, you probably get it.
1: So does the. Empathy part of the human UI, does it have like any kind of abilities if it's only part of its trifecta?
0: I'm assuming it's, it's basically like, I don't know, Danielle, we don't. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I don't know. I assume it's basically like a Jesus figure in terms of its abilities, but I have no evidence of that. I'm just assuming based on the fact that they imply Jesus was the UI that did that last time when the human empathy UI went back in time before. That's what the former took.
1: I feel like we should keep track of every fantasy sci-fi thing we've ever done that has some kind of triune in it. There should be a tally. Tell the other ones. I mean,
0: I mean, I guess I know the gods themselves we mentioned, so there's that.
1: There's gods themselves. I feel like there's probably something from Lords of the Sky about things of I don't three. Know. Weren't there things I of they were three? Into seven. I
0: thought they were into seven. They in definitely had
1: sevens. I feel like they had threes. I just feel like there's a lot of threes. Threes are always a thing.
0: I mean, humans are very much into things like threes and sevens, because they're smaller numbers that are easier to comprehend. I
1: do like sevens.
0: Yeah, so see? I don't think it's that weird. <laughs> it's just people.
1: No, we just do a lot of threes. I feel like that's a and we lean heavily into it
0: as a populace. Yeah, and I think that therefore if a deity appeared from our consciousness, it would probably be in threes because people just love that stuff. They
1: do, I agree.
0: Three, sevens, and twelves. Those are the big ones. I
1: like elevens.
0: Well, you're weird. Eleven's my favorite. <laughs> okay.
1: Throw <laughs> it out there.
0: Anyway, but Uman is not siding with the volatiles. He sided with those seeking the other path, the one of uncertainty for everyone. Like, hey, let's go for chaos. <laughs> And so his faction told Gladstone of humanity's choice, total annihilation or embracing the Hyperion variable and a war ending with uncertainty. But at least the war would end one way or the other. And he means the UI war between the UIs. For if the empathy part can be found and forced to return to the war, the strike will impale it upon the Tree of Thorns and humanity's UI will lose.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So what's the best bet for human UI to just like hang out?
0: Who knows? I don't know what they, like if they can defeat the strike in some way. Maybe that means it'll be fine. I don't know, Daniel.
1: Because right now it just seems like the empathy UI is hanging out. And like, That's if, it, if it ever comes out of hiding, it's screwed.
0: Well, I think if it's if it's getting out of hiding and is captured by the Shrike,
1: right? But I mean, so if
0: they can destroy the Shrike and no longer has to be in hiding, maybe. So the plan is
1: to kill the Shrike before it can find the empathy UI.
0: I don't know. There's no plan at this point. This is all. Honest is just telling you what the, what's going on. He okay. only knows the Technocore stuff. All right, all <laughs> he right, doesn't all know right. Humanity. <laughs> i uh, i i'm not I'm not being short i'm just saying i I don't know I have no answers i've that's all I got
1: I don't know what the book tells you I was just checking well, oh, I
0: would not leave out details from this part of the book Danielle that was me. a lot
1: of info dumping for Dan Simmons. I'm impressed
0: it was very much done in like a poem, like a continuous <laughs> very confusing it was it was a lot we're not done yet. <laughs> So Braun asks who killed her father, and Uman says that they were one of those who arranged it, since her father was trying to bring Hyperion into the web too soon, activate the Hyperion variable before it was ready to be done. But now that is it's the right time, they can let Mina Gladstone do that.
1: They couldn't like mind control him or do like literally anything other than murder him.
0: I and mean, murdering is the easiest way to do it, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. Doesn't mean it's the best solution. <laughs>
0: It clearly worked, Danielle. I don't know why you're, like, so up against their results.
1: <laughs> I feel bad for her.
0: Well, you know, they turned her into the woman who went to the time tombs and opened them. That was probably part of it, too. Probably. Also, Uman was the one who killed Johnny, at least for that brief period, since the whole Johnny project is so complicated and so little understood by the core now, they wanted to destroy that, which they didn't understand, because they're very much like their creator's humanity in that way. That seems fair. Yeah. Also, Johnny had to be destroyed in the end, so that the other Keith persona, Severn, could live. And Johnny's like, haha, I got you, because I'm not destroyed. And Human goes, yes, you are, and then tears him apart, uh, and then absorbs his remains. Gone. <laughs> dead. <laughs> Just, like, rips and blimp from limb. <laughs> it's really good.
1: <laughs> it are the Keith's... The plethora of Keats's, are they the Hyperion thing?
0: The variable? Yeah. I mean, no, they're part of the Hyperion variable. Everything to do with Hyperion is part of the variable. Yeah. The pilgrims, the Hyperion. Are you sure the they're Shrike. not
1: like a manifestation? Because that'd be pretty funny.
0: I mean, maybe, but as far as I know <laughs> at this point, they are not.
1: Did you read this whole series, Sam?
0: Yes, like ten years <laughs> ago. <Are> you <laughs> remember those details?
1: I don't know. It seems important.
0: <laughs> Danielle, this is so complicated. <laughs> So Bronn starts hurling insults at Uman, saying humanity's UI can beat their UI any day of the week. And Uman is like, "Mm, that is doubtful. And then he basically drops her out of the megasphere. She falls and then Severin wakes up. So that's all we see of that.
1: So she had to lose Johnny twice. Yeah. Poor (laughs) Bronn. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a kind of a terrible guy, but I still feel bad for her.
0: Also, I want to mention here, I, I didn't say specifically because I, I glossed over it, but Uman is asking, and when they have a little back and forth, Uman asks like, hey, Bron, are you sure you want to be here since you're risking your baby's life by being here? And, and she's like, yeah, it's fine. Oh, good. So like, Uman is the only one who seems concerned with her, her child. <laughs> the
1: one, the one thing. Little Unky, Unky Keats is like, are you sure you're okay? Cause my little, my little nephew's in there. <laughs>
0: Great-nephew, grand-nephew, whatever.
1: <laughs> She's like, yeah, I don't care. He's like, okay, nope. glad we chose you to be the mother of the new Keats. <laughs> have a good Kinda. day, lady. Have, have I know.
0: <laughs> oh, it gets so weird, Daniel. It gets so weird. All right. So we cut back to Severn, who was awoken by the Archivist. He had cried out in his sleep, meditation, whatever you want to call it. Eight hours have passed. The war is causing chaos in the data sphere, and Severn can't really figure out what's going on clearly, just that there is fighting on Hyperion. Mm-hmm. The archivist offers him a ride to a private Farcaster portal since all the public ones are basically locked down due to riots. It's unfortunate. The archivist then reveals, under Severin's questioning, that the fleet Hyperion has had some trouble relocating, which, shocking. <laughs> the archivist takes Severin to a rundown apartment complex where he lives with his other friends who are all part of the same obscure order of Catholicism. They're oh, all Catholic scholars. Oh, yay. Severin then surprises himself and the archivist by deciding he wants to go to Pactum. Just before he leaves, the archivist asks him if he thinks they, whoever they are, will burn his archives. Very Library of Alexandria. And Severin's like, no, it's fine. They won't burn the archives. I'm like, they definitely going to the <laughs> like, burn the archives. They're definitely going
1: to do that. They're definitely going to burn the archives. Absolutely. He's just trying to make him feel better.
0: <laughs> no, he like, definitely won't. And then he just goes to the safar caster to patch him. So he enters patch him and he asks for Monsignor Edouard. You remember who Monsignor Edward is? Uh, no. Okay. Well, Senior Edward was Duray's friend, maybe more than friend, who he was like writing his diary entries to. Oh
1: yeah, that's right. I knew he was tied into the the.
0: Well, I mean, of course guys. he is. He's yeah. part of the the Catholic priesthood here. <laughs> so Sever is directed into the basilica, and he eventually led into the cathedral where he finds two men talking alone. It's Edward, and guess who else? Uh,
1: why do you always do this to me? You know I can't. That's fun. <laughs> I can't think of a single other character
0: mina you're loving love it no
1: keats another keats
0: a third keats no <laughs> uh
1: baby rachel
0: no it's paul Deray danielle no. he's on Batum.
1: i thought he was like somewhere else hyperion he was on hyperion
0: danielle <laughs> but now he's here how did he get here we're gonna find out in just a minute
1: this week on book retorts <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh boy book retorts it gets weirder <laughs> Severin is, he projecting? is shocked.
1: Is he? Did they manage to get his little uh, cruciform off planet?
0: Oh Danielle, did no.
1: Jutted into space. Did he like? No. Have another one? Did he have like a bonus cruciform that turned into Paul Duray? Are there? You're never going to gonna gonna figure Paul this out, Duray's? Danielle. Absolutely
0: <laughs> not at all. You're never going to figure this out.
1: Are there just a plethora of derays?
0: No. So Severin is shocked and starts babbling to them of I mean, like, hey, what's going on? I know you. I've heard about your stories, all that kind of stuff. But they eventually calm him down enough that he could explain that who he is and that he's he basically the twin DeBron's persona lover, and that he could be like dreaming about the pilgrims and knows their stories, etc., etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So DeRay asks after the fate of the other pilgrims, his friends, and he tells them what we already know. And then he tells them about Uman. Uh, this sparks a discussion of if a deity can arise from human consciousness, and if that's blasphemous or not, and whether this could be the same god as the Judeo-Christian one. And if so, if part of that triune flood back in time, it must have been fleeing something truly terrifying.
1: So, I mean, who cares if it's blasphemous, if it's happened? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the point of that is.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think they care if they're like, maybe there's a different god, and maybe this is like, they can't have, like, maybe there's a third god that they actually worship or whatever. Okay. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Like, they're trying to figure out, is this the same god that we worship, or is it a different one? And if we, and if it's not the same one, is it blasphemous to acknowledge it as a god? Would it, like, you know, be the put no gods above me kind of thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, I think they settle on that. It's probably the same god. Okay. And so, how did Paul Duray end up here? So, after this whole discussion, Duray starts to tell Severin how he got to Patchum. So, he entered the glowing cave tomb when he went for a little walk back in the previous part.
1: Oh, yeah. He just, like, walked off, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he just went for a little walk and then disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, But instead of being an empty, shallow cave, the rear of the tomb had transformed to a to a carving that looked kind of like the mouth of the Shrike with stalactite and stalagmite teeth.
1: And he walked in because he was like, hey, cool.
0: Well, there's a staircase going down the back of the cave where this red glow is coming from. He's
1: like, I'm definitely going to walk in there.
0: <laughs> no. DeRay is like... That's clearly a staircase down to hell. Like, this is very, you know, kitschy. <laughs> and I'm not about this. And he turns to leave. But oh no, the original entrance to the tomb is gone. It's just a solid rock wall he's trapped. Shocking. So after waiting several hours, because he does not want to go down that, that staircase. Totally fair. DeRay descends the staircase, which leads down for what seems like miles. As the glow gets brighter and brighter, he eventually finds the source of the glow. Thousands of cruciform parasites covering the walls. It's <laughs> like,
1: it's a rave! DJ Trek is in the house! Well, he
0: <laughs> Could be using the cruciform parasites for this light show. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So these parasites, they're all different sizes. Some are big, some are tiny, and they're packed so tightly they're overlapping each other. Creepy.
1: The cruciforms are like the creepiest part of this entire saga. Yeah, no.
0: DeRay hates it. He's like, he compares it to walking into like a mound of writhing leeches. Okay. Like, are Parasites, it's stealing him. Is
1: the AI, UI, is it like. Trying to make more humans. Did it realize its mistake in trying to wipe out humanity? Now it needs more humans.
0: (laughs) Maybe very possibly. Like human farming. Where this is a gift from the machine AI or the human AI? We don't know. The
1: AI UI Sam, please. Whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the human ultimate intelligence or the machine ultimate intelligence. I just say ultimate intelligence every time. Stop trying to save a few syllables.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna say AI UI.
0: Okay. I mean, there's the AI UI and the human UI. Mm -hmm. So I guess that works. So he hated it. He hates them. But he continued down the staircase because what else is he going to do? And eventually he ends up in the labyrinth, Danielle. Do you remember the labyrinth worlds? That didn't have the minotaur? No, no minotaur. In fact, they were empty. There were nine labyrinth worlds with these massive labyrinths that basically covered the entire planets underneath the crusts. That were really and boring. And entirely empty. And didn't yeah.
1: have a goblin king. And what's even the point?
0: Well, Danielle, they're not boring anymore because they are They are full. They are chock-a-block full of... David Bowie. Of no.
1: What is the point, Sam?
0: <laughs> They're full of human corpses. to ceiling corpses. Not
1: fun as David no. Bowie's pants.
0: <laughs> David Bowie is way more fun than human corpses. I will give you that. <laughs> but this labyrinth is just packed full of human bodies.
1: That are going to turn into human farms.
0: No. They're <laughs> dead. There's a path that has been hewn through the corpses as if by some bladed machine. So guess who that is?
1: DJ Strike is in the yes, labyrinth.
0: Indeed. <laughs> and DeRay's <laughs> like, well, I guess <laughs> I gotta go that way.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the corpses were old, mummified, clearly haven't been there for eons. But DeRay recognized that these people, based on their clothing and whatnot, were clearly of his time or slightly in his future. Uh oh. Even though they've been here for millions of years or for whatever. So
1: Time has no meaning in this book. It's fine. right?
0: He's clearly, time has been, shall we say, unmoored around the time tombs. So he speculates that if all the labyrinths were used as tombs, they would house trillions of bodies, like maybe the entirety of humanity. So maybe that's what the original purpose of the labyrinths is, is to be the final tombs for when the machines all wipe out of humanity. Why would
1: you make them into a labyrinth? Why not just have a
0: row or something? I mean, I don't know. Labyrinth may be like a generous term for them.
1: Why would you throw a labyrinth into a conversation and then take it back, Sam?
0: I, I didn't I, – I, I did the book is – I'm just like the book says, Danielle. I know you're obsessed with the <laughs> labyrinth, but so you're going to have to put that aside I'm for not now. obsessed
1: with labyrinth. I like labyrinths. There's a difference.
0: <laughs> you are – I remember when you made me read The Maze Runner.
1: I only, only you made you – no, I don't love The Maze Runner. That is not why I didn't even finish the series. Is. No, I made you read The Maze Runner because the author writes like you. There's a huge difference. <laughs>
0: You also sort of like, it's got a maze in it. That's why I read it. Well,
1: I read it because there was a maze in it because I like mazes and labyrinths. But like, I made you read it because the author wrote like you, not because I like the book, Sam.
0: <laughs> also, insulting to say the author wrote like you and I hated those books. So <laughs> thank not, you. Diana. I didn't
1: say I hated those books. I just said that I didn't finish those books. The first one's yeah. quite a decent book. <laughs> As you and I have discussed in length, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: gets weirder. <laughs> Now that you're a reader, it's true.
1: You and I have had very in-depth conversations about the trajectory of Maze Runner. So don't. And you've
0: still never read the rest of those books.
1: I read most of them. I think I like half finished the last one and then I, – I don't know. I didn't finish it. I don't know how it ends.
0: <laughs> it ends – I don't remember either, Danielle, but I remember we were I don't like, have oh, a problem not
1: finishing books.
0: I remember how it ends now. It is wild.
1: And I might have read it it's quite possible that I did finish it and we talked about it I actually might have plowed through it because you would finish it I felt like we had to like I think that might have happened
0: <laughs> it doesn't matter Danielle. I the point went is, back to it like you love ma- a year later I'm sorry there are tombs in this book and I have no more <laughs> knowledge about them than what I've given you so far
1: So this is your own fault. You know how I feel about labyrinths and mazes.
0: Look, I didn't write the labyrinth into this book. Dan Simmons is. (laughs) Take it up with him.
1: Dear Mr. Simmons. uh,
0: You should tweet. You should tweet Dan Simmons. Ask him a question about the labyrinth.
1: What if he has a Twitter account?
0: That would be hilarious. He'd be like, who are you and what are you I doing mean, in my books? Please I don't know. Stop. You
1: don't think authors like randomly just like search their name out on
0: Twitter? <laughs> I mean, I would, but then I'm very egotistical.
1: <laughs> Maybe Dan Simmons is one of our listeners, Sam.
0: Oh, I doubt that. He, he I don't think he could tolerate our telling of his I poor would books. I
1: would 100% if I had written books and we were doing them or anybody was doing them, I would 100% listen to the podcast.
0: I would too, probably. <laughs> but also, now, would you listen to us talk about your book? Yes. Because what are we doing to this DJ strike? <laughs>
1: So funny! <laughs>
0: this is a serious.
1: If you can't have humor about your book, opera. what's even the point?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, fair enough. A lot of people don't, which is sad.
1: I would hope Dan Simmons. Uh, I'm would sure he's a lovely person. That we he really do up- enjoy yes. the, the writing and the books. Well, I haven't read. I have I haven't no evidence. Read them but. <laughs>
0: one way or the other, but I'm sure he's a lovely person. <laughs> I'm just gonna choose to believe that.
1: I believe that too. Let's go.
0: Anyway, eventually as Paul Duray is walking and walking, he's aware that the Shrike is there with him. Uh-oh. The flames in his eyes are pulsing with the glow of the cruciforms on the wall. This
1: would be scarier if we
0: weren't talking to Paul DeRay in the future. Well, I mean, you know he doesn't you know he lives, that's not the question. The question I mean. is like, does he suffer?
1: Oh, but is Paul Duray actually the DJ Shrike?
0: Wait, is Paul Duray actually DJ Shrike? Yeah,
1: does like DJ Shrike take over his form or something?
0: No. What? No. The strike makes a quick motion at him, tearing at him, pulling away something red and bloody. Guess what it is? It's cruciform. It is his cruciform. He's taking Uh, Duray's cruciform out of him.
1: uh, Is this like give or his wish?
0: Yeah, maybe. So, quite possibly. So, uh, Hoyt's cruciform is still there, but DeRay, at least, can truly die now. He feels that the cruciform has been removed from him. All its little tendrils are dying throughout his body. And his wound is healing. Yay! The Shrike keeps the cruciform, then tosses it out of the pile of humanity, mm-hmm. and then grabs Duray by the arm and leads into what looks like a crude Farcaster portal. And suddenly, as he's pushed through, he is weightless. He's in the wreckage of a forced spaceship. Bodies everywhere, but one Farcaster portal still active in the ship and invisible from where he is. The Shrike appears next to him in space, and Duray is shocked to see the Shrike now free of Hyperion, and it shoves Duray through the Farcaster Portal, where he pops out of the Pope's personal Farcaster portal in the basilica mere hours after pope urban the 16th has died okay so he's back on Patrick. that's what he got there the shrike shoving through a few portals and got him there
1: good job shrike
0: severin is shocked that the shrike is free to access the web now he's off hyperion he has access to farcasters he can get to the humanity he can do some damage severin muses if he should go visit hyperion as he feels he has a part to play in this maybe he's supposed to find the empathy part of the triune and then Duray says hey Have you considered that maybe you're the empathy part of the triune? And Severin rejects this idea, but he is shook by the notion.
1: I mean, any of them could be Sam. It's a mystery.
0: Well, they go through like, oh, it could be Mina, it could be all these different people. But they're like, no, based on our biblical knowledge, like God didn't choose Pontius Pilate to be... You know, his chosen ambassador, he chose a, a lowly carpenter. And so therefore you as a poet are a perfect vessel or whatever. So is
1: Martin, but you don't see anybody suggesting it's him.
0: <laughs> well, Martin is kind of a jerk. <laughs> and he's not as important as Keats, is Danielle. And also, of course, the Triune part would maybe not even know of itself as like a way to hide itself even better. It may have concealed itself from itself, which is a weird idea. But there you go. They suggest it. And also, you know, maybe he's like not fully human because he's also part of the core. So that's maybe part of it too. I don't know, Daniel.
1: How terrible of a defense mechanism would that actually be in that you don't remember who you are, which it's in theory a good defense mechanism, but then you end up completely involved in the war. (laughs) You're not like laying low on some outside planet and never going to be seen.
0: I mean, maybe he needs to be part of the war to direct it without knowing he's directing it. I guess. So after all this sort of, like, back and forth, Severin, I think is, like, half-convinced this is true, but, like, still isn't quite buying it. Mm-hmm. He says that he and DeRay should go see Gladstone, then immediately, like, catch up on all of this stuff. And DeRay's like, sure, but first, I want to go visit God's Grove to talk to the head of the Templars, as the Templars have had their own machinations going on, which I want to figure out. And also, maybe they can give me headmaster's story, which he never told. Uh-oh. And Severin's like, we do not have time for this. It's like 90 minutes before the invasion is going to hit God's Grove and they're going to all be killed. But Dorae's like, no, nope, we we'll definitely have to do this. So Severin relents. like, okay, fine. We better be quit then. And Dorae's like, sure, sure, sure. But first, can you try to dream of the pilgrims again? I want to know how they're doing. I want to know how my friends are doing. <laughs> Because clearly they have time for this.
1: Yeah, they totally do, Sam.
0: And it's never going to work, but sure, I'll try. And he closes his eyes. And oh, guess what? It does work. And he goes to sleep and starts dreaming. Why did
1: he think it wasn't going to work? He's managed to do this repeatedly already. I
0: don't know, Danielle. But that's where we're going to end this part of the story. We'll pick up next time with what's happening on Hyperion, maybe, or wherever he ends up in his brain. Who knows?
1: Cliffhanger. Who would have (laughs) thought?
0: Yeah, this is why this last part is going to be three parts, probably, because there is so much going on in this, so much density of notions and ideas. We're
1: going to have to see what happens next time on Hyperion.
0: Aren't you excited, Danielle? Can't you just not wait to see what happens? The never-ending Hyperion. (laughs) Give us the song.
1: Give the never-ending Hyperion song?
0: Yeah, to the never-ending story theme song. Come on.
1: i don't remember the never-ending theory story theme.
0: That is tragic. Go look it up and come
1: back next week, <laughs>
0: prepared to do it.
1: It's like a distant memory in my head. It's not that I don't know that it exists and maybe I can like distantly hear it, but not enough to make up a song to it,
0: Sam. Sorry. That was a movie that most people think is like a very dark kids movie, but is like a way brightened up version of the very dark book. Oh yeah, which I've, I think I've is read great. the
1: book. It's pretty dark.
0: It's great. It is real good. And it it's real like, <laughs> oh, this is much weirder than that movie. That movie is like, Let's tone this down a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's not this book. This book is Hyperion. It is over. Uh, DJ Shrike has maybe granted Paul DeRay's wish. Unclear. There's maybe one part of a trinity god hiding out amongst the people. Might be Severn. And there is a war between machine gods and human gods, which is also being reflected kind of in the war between humanity and the machines, and maybe also between the oustres and humanity. Who knows? A lot's going on, Danielle. It's all very confusing.
1: Just usual stuff in Hyperion Part 2.
0: Aren't you so glad I shared this book with you?
1: I'm so excited, Sam. I'm so happy to Be here for this epic (laughs) saga.
0: (laughs) If it wasn't for the saga, Danielle, there'd be no D Day Shrike.
1: That's true. I do feel like that was the best thing that has been birthed from these novels.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that we have birthed from these novels. We have birthed from these
1: novels, yes. Dan Simmons, good job, you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're so, that's so mean, poor <laughs> Mr. Simmons. I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely person. We're doing him such a disservice.
1: I don't think so. I mean, we're interacting and enjoying his work. I feel like wouldn't you want that as an author?
0: I mean, I guess. Um, I, I, it depends on if you're enjoying it in a mean way or not.
1: You, well you read them all, and you like them enough to reread them, so that's a so win. <laughs>
0: Well, next time, Danielle, we'll see what happens on Hyperion, but for now, I guess I have to wait for DJ Shrike to drop a sixth album. It could be the last album you ever hear. Dun, if he destroys dun, Humanity. Dun,
1: dun. Time After Time.
0: Yes, his number one hit. <laughs> time After Time. <laughs>
1: it's the End of the World. As we know it.
0: <laughs> you got to do it as like a remix. Do a, do a mashup of all of his time songs as a remix, Daniel. On I want to hear that. On it. Okay. Well, if you want to hear that or have suggestions for more time-related songs that DJ Strike could remix, you can reach us at BookRetorts.com. You can
1: also tweet Instagram or Facebook us at BookRetorts.
0: And if you want to fund our own project to create the ultimate intelligence, you can do so at <laughs> patreon.com. bookreports. We promise our ultimate intelligence won't try to wipe out humanity. I, Maybe. I
1: thought we were still, <laughs> that's because we've created the de hubertifier, Sam.
0: <laughs> right. Of course. Yes.
1: <laughs> that really helps with those
0: kind of problems. That's a good point. All right. So, see, synergy between our businesses. Saving humanity
1: one de hubertifier at a time,
0: and one ultimate intelligence <laughs> at a time. Well, until then, you know, if you're ever impaled on a giant tree spike, remember your Keats poetry and maybe it'll be okay. And just
1: squiggle yourself off. Don't be petty. (laughs) Listen to Keats.
0: (laughs) Until then, bye. Take care,
1: everybody. To tell you i looked up the plot of cinderella 2 not on purpose
0: how do you actually <laughs> look up the plot to cinderella? You know, oh i'm googling and suddenly the word cinderella 2 came out of my fingers by mistake
1: I mean, kind of. I don't remember how I got on it, but uh, it was not specifically because I was like, what is the plot of Cinderella 2? It was something slightly related and it got into Cinderella 2.
0: Excuses.
1: Anyway, to be the most confusing series of events ever, Cinderella 2 is where Anastasia falls in love.
0: What? (laughs) Wait. What?
1: (laughs) So Cinderella 2 apparently takes place after the honeymoon.
0: (laughs) After Anastasia's honeymoon.
1: No, after Cinderella's honeymoon.
0: But zero three takes place. Lo- oh,
1: I know, Sam. I know. And she falls in love with a baker, and they live happily ever
0: after. Oh, clearly they don't. I'm guessing <laughs> if this takes place immediately after the honeymoon, Anastasia falls in love with the baker. He definitely like stole everything he could for them and skipped town as quickly as possible, <laughs> leaving her destitute and having yeah. to crawl back to her mother.
1: And apparently, I don't know quite what happens with the stepmother and everything, but it doesn't like end happily between the family. So at some point, the stepmother must have taken Anastasia. Asia back in. Exactly. And then she got That's like the That's why they all treated her so poorly. It must be it. The other option, according to the internet... <laughs> <laughs> oh, they even have series on boards. this that are different than yeah. mine. I guess Anastasia 2 is like set into pieces. Wait, is it Anastasia 2? Sorry, Cinderella 2.
0: Okay. Like, I do not know that just like a <laughs> spin-off series about Anastasia, which <laughs> I know. would watch.
1: I mean, that's kind of what this movie is. So Cinderella 2 has like, it seems like it's set into like four different parts, the movie. And so some people think that Cinderella 3 happens after part two of Anna's, of Cinderella too. So like, like, apparently the timeline-wise, yeah, it could happen.
0: So there's a whole year in the middle of that movie that just sort of skips over.
1: Yeah, apparently. That's one of the options.
0: <laughs> That's dumber than my idea about her getting dumped and having to crawl back to her <laughs> wicked stepmother and then them being sadistic to her.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the the rules are because I have never seen Cinderella two, and nor did I, you know, read an in depth summary of the plot. But
0: we know what we have to do nowadays. now, Danielle. We have to watch it. I Watch
1: Cinderella two. We should. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. That is amazing and also like tragic. I think this is the saddest story for Anastasia.
1: <laughs> I know. I felt really bad for it. I thought I should share that with you.
0: All right, I got to watch this. Uh- <laughs>